I always say start with a, a, a um, eight o'clock feather light, seven foot five weight. It's, it's a short rod. It's a great teaching tool. Um, it doesn't feel like too much in, in a child's hand or a young caster's hand. Uh, and they can really learn those mechanics. And That was Cameron Mortensen telling us about a great glass rod for kids to get started. This tip and a bunch more today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. I want to take a quick moment and direct you to a new survey I have going this week that I'd really love you to take. Go to wetflyswing.com slash fantasy to take the short Fly Fisherman's Fantasy Trip Survey. Uh, this shouldn't take long and uh, should be a lot of fun with the results. I'm already taking a look at uh, what we have coming in, and it's really, really interesting. So if you just have a, a minute or two... Um, It'll help uh, me guide the direction of the podcast and really the next big thing I have coming in the next year. Uh, if you go to, uh, again, wetflyswing.com slash fantasy or just click on the link in the show notes, uh, it'll be at the top of the page. And you can probably fill out this survey before I even get finished with the actual intro on this podcast. Better yet, um, uh, just click pause right now and uh, pause my voice and go over the show notes, click the link. And at the end, there will be a spot where you can enter your email so you can find the results or get the results. I'll send them to you directly. Okay, now on pause, and uh, let's get started. In today's episode, I talk with Cameron Mortensen, the man behind the Fiberglass Manifesto blog. Cameron tells us why Fiberglass has made a comeback and some of the best rods to get started with. We hear about the story behind the Manifesto, some great resources if you're interested in going deeper, and some of the innovative companies who are on board and producing great, uh, great products out there. Don't miss this one as Cameron talks about his day job as a police officer and a little tip that might help you avoid your next ticket. So without further ado, here's Cameron Mortensen from the fiberglassmanifesto.com. How's it going, Cameron? going great thanks for uh, having me on yeah thanks for thanks for coming on here we've uh well i guess we've been chatting just a little bit here but you know obviously you've been out there for a while we're going to get into a lot of the the fiberglass uh, manifesto history and fiberglass rods and everything but maybe before we jump into all that can you talk about how you first got into fly fishing and, and how that all you brought that up into the you know the website and i'm not sure what else you have going on out there well, um, you know, as a teenager, I worked at a uh, Christian summer camp in northern Michigan, and there was a lake on the camp that I spent a lot of time on, and I didn't grow up fishing. Um, I had a, you know, my father didn't have a lot of patience with fishing, and I can only remember as a child, you know, fishing at on a couple camping trips that we uh, had been on. Um, but when I was at summer camp, I was surrounded by a lot of people that, you know, spent a lot of time on the lake, and everybody was bass fishing and bluegill fishing uh, there. And so picked up a spinning rod and, and, uh, just like was totally captivated by, uh, spin fishing. And that quickly turned into, um, you know, being interested in fly fishing, you know, the camp was outside of Grayling and, you know, Grayling has a tremendous history, uh, in fly fishing with a ton of water, you know, a ton of trout water, uh, nearby. And so I was in and out of the sport shops and fly shops that were in the area. And, um, Oh, I think it was the next summer. Um, I showed up to camp and I had an an old 
Um, well, I started with a with an Eagle Claw Featherlight, and then the next summer I picked up a uh, like a thrift store bamboo rod and fished both of those rods, and then just it just kind of grew from there. I started anytime I had a break at camp, you know, lunch break. Um, in the evenings after uh, dinner, I would skip out on my dishwashing duties, um, and I would even hear my name being called <laughs> on the ladder, like Cameron Mortensen, please yep. come to the dish. And I had the, like the windows down on my um, POS Ford Escort, and I was just trying to get across the street on the Asabel River somewhere for uh, a few yeah. hours. That's awesome. Yeah, the uh, the Asabel. That's yeah. We've talked a little bit about that river. The um, so Eagle Claw, and that's something that I think I'm gonna you know get into a little bit. I think there's a there's a Eagle Claw uh, discount that you know of, right? That uh, they they make a, a, gra- a fiberglass rod, a fly rod that's pretty decent still, or is a good deal, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, my first fly rod was, I think it was $60, you know, I got a little Martin clicker reel and a level line, um, it was probably a 5 or $10 fly line, and then, you know, you claw feather lights only, even now you can get them at Walmart and they're $25, so yeah. anyone that says, you know, fly fishing's too expensive and like the, the, yep. the way of entry into fly fishing, I mean, certainly you can spend hundreds and thousands of dollars, but uh, with... Um, you know, some careful purchases, you can get into fly fishing for well under, you know, a hundred dollars. And yeah, uh, a great tool for me to learn on. I still, you know, pick up Eagle Claw Feather Lights. Um, I sell them on the, the website just because I had so many people that asked me about them. Uh-huh. I don't think any money on them. Um, you know, when I sell them, but it's a great, it's a great first experience with glass. It's great for kids. Um, I've started using and I sell also the, the spinning rods because they're just, um, you know, they're just a lot of fun to cast and, and mess around with. Gotcha. And is this, um, now is this a Walmart, uh, 25 or $40? Is this a fly rod that you're talking about here? Yes. So, um, and you can find them online. Um, you know, the Eagle Claw Featherlight, bright yellow, they got a ruler on the side. I mean, um, they've had kind of very few changes over the years. I mean, it's virtually the same fly rod that, that I started with 20 oh, years really? later. Wow, that's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah, this is, I think my brother, if he listens to this episode, he's going to love it because he was just talking about how he was going to go buy a, a new fly rod from Walmart uh, for for my uh, for my nephew. And I was like, come on, no, don't, don't do it. Don't go to Walmart. You need to go, you know, go to a local shop or something like that. You know, I kind of give him crap for it. But, you know, it sounds like, and I actually was talking about how maybe the quality isn't that good, but you know, it sounds like maybe that's a, a valid way to go, especially for getting into your first rod. I don't think there's any better way to start fly fishing. I mean, you learn the mechanics of casting. The rod, you know, loads very easily. It's great for a, a new caster. Um, and they just end up being, you know, a lot of fun for experienced anglers as well. I mean, they're just I, – I always look at them as like the PBR of fly rods. Yeah, um, perfect. You know, super cheap and super fun and something that you can always grab and have a good time with. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. Uh, well, let's uh, let's jump into a little. You know, I mean, we're gonna get into all the fiberglass stuff today. But as far as the the website, I mean, when did all that come to be? Where you went from, you know, you're in the summer camp as a kid and stuff. And I mean, how long until later until you actually think that you know starting a website is is the way to go here? Well, um, you know, started fly fishing when I worked summer camp, and in the next few years, really just moved away from from glass. You know, that first couple of years, fish that that. Um, feather light a lot, but then everything I was reading, every fly shop I went into, I mean, there was just no fiberglass available. And so, you know, as a, 
impressionable angler. Uh, you know, when you go into a shop and you're like, hey, I'm thinking about a new five weight, well, um, you know, everything was graphite. And so I quickly, you know, kind of replaced that, that feather light with um, fishing a lot of graphite rods. And uh, it wasn't until I um, lived in Michigan, got married, moved out to Colorado, moved back or moved from Colorado to uh, South Carolina where we've been, oh, almost 19 years. Oh, wow. um, and then moved back here. And my wife has a has a, a family pond that's just through the woods from our house. And I was like, ah, you know, maybe I'll start messing around with this, you know, you know, kind of piece of crap, feather light. Yep. And I had cast it for probably 12 years. And I was just kind of blown away by how much fun it was to fish and caught some, you know, good sized bass and bluegill from the pond and, and, um, started looking around the internet, came across a forum called the fiberglass fly rodders. And at that point, I think I was, there was less than 300 members on that forum. <laughs> um, and now there's, I mean, thousands of members wow. that are there. Uh, there was kind of a, it was fiberglass was just, I mean, there was vintage rods, you know, everybody on the forum talked a lot about, um, you know, the, the majority of the conversations were about vintage rods. There were some contemporary rod makers, uh, Mike McFarlane, Mark Steffen, and there was just a couple of companies that offered glass at that point, um, like Scott and Thomas and Thomas. Uh, and then there was kind of like a tipping point where there was started to be more small shop builders involved. You had uh, other companies that were looking at glass again. Um, and so I was on the forum. The conversations weren't really uh, talking about contemporary glass. And one of the other forum members uh, from Wyoming, Mike Carlson, he and I would be in the uh, chat room on Sunday nights talking back and forth. And one night he's like, you know, I wish there was uh, – and this is about the time that online magazines were uh, coming into play. What, what year was this roughly? Um, well – it would have been around 2000. I'm trying to do the math because yeah. I've been writing them now since. And, um, and how long have you had the website, the Fiberglass Manifesto, going? This fall will be 11 years. Okay, 11 years, yep. Um, so I guess it would have been, oh, late in 2007. Mike and I were kind of going back and forth in the um, chat room on the forum and he was like, you know, it'd be great if there was an online magazine that really centered on like contemporary glass and what's going on with, you know, um, who's building on what blanks and what companies have glass. And, you know, I remember typing back to him, you know, plain as day, I was like, what would we call it? And he's like, the fiberglass manifesto. Huh. I mean, and um, I was like, huh, that sounds pretty interesting. And he's not very tech savvy. I'm not very tech savvy. And he's got a pretty uh, um, busy job. And I don't know. It just kind of was backburnered for a number of months. And then, um, oh, then that following spring, which would have been 2008, just kind of was like, hey, what would you think if I tried to do something with that? You know, Fiberglass Manifesto. He's like, yeah, go for it. Hmm. And uh, did a Google search on how to start a blog and started an account on Blogger and just started putting, you know, kind of feeling my way through it. Um, there was only a handful of blogs back then. Um, so, and then it just, you know, just kept writing it, you know, started out every few days or every other week and then just increased in frequency. And while that was happening, there was suddenly this, you know, there was more and more interesting glass and there was more and more options when it came to contemporary glass and rod companies that were involved. And so we went from, oh, maybe a dozen 
rod builders and rod companies to if you fast forward to now there's you know well over a hundred huh. so did that just naturally was that just a natural evolution going on or was that something you uh, you, you had to do with with this uh, this new site and everything I think it was it was it was mainly uh, a just something natural that was going on yeah at that point you know, graphite rods were getting faster and faster. I mean, 2007, 2008, it was like, it seemed like all the marketing and a lot of the design work in graphite rods were really centered on how, how fast a rod could be and how far you could cast a rod. That's right. So there was kind of some pushback of, you know, most people only need to cast 30 or 40 feet as a most and sometimes a lot less and where rods were getting a lot faster and they just weren't as enjoyable to cast. And so there was more interest in um, medium action rods. And then from a rod builder standpoint in a rod company, um, you can't like get to the top of a mountain as far as, you know, we're trying to make fast action rods and then just stop. Rod companies are in the yeah. businesses of rods. So Keep they're going to they're gonna circle back and say, you know, what have we done in the past that was good and a lot of fun and that, you know, we could sell more fly rods with. And you know, it's, it seems now that just about every um, established fly rod company, you know, wants to be in that fiberglass game in some way. Wow. So so do you see, I mean, eventually, does it look like this thing's becoming, I'm not sure what the percentages are. I'm sure it's still, you know, 95% um, or more graphite. But do you see this thing eventually turning where it's more of a, you know, more of a 50-50 thing down the line? I don't think so. I think the glass is always going to be pretty niche. And it has, you know, there's some people where, you know, it's just something that they use maybe in two, three, four, and five weight. Or, you know, they have a certain segment of their, you know, rod collection that they have that special glass rod. And I think that's fine. And then there's other people like me that are totally sick for it. And, you know, I've got everything yeah. from a one weight to a 12 weight in glass to two handers. And, um, oh, wow. you know, I don't fish anything but glass just because I enjoy the way they perform and, and how much fun they are to cast. And, um, I think when you write a website that's all about glass rods, it's kind of uh heresy if I, yep. <laughs> there right. with a my rod in my hand, you got to stick with it. Yeah. And it's fun. the funny thing is, is that, you know what the glass rods, I mean, I have an old, um, it's an old lamigra uh, lamb. Actually, it's the first steelhead rod. Uh, my dad gave me, uh, you know, when I was, uh, you know, a kid or whatever. And, you know, I mean, that thing is so classic because it, it is kind of probably more like a graphite. It's like a noodle, you know, it's super slow action or maybe it's medium action, but it's just fun casting that thing because especially with sinking lines and things like that, you just get a whole different feel, uh, than like, you know, even where you almost feel it in the handle, not quite, but you just, you know, and so, and that's kind of the fiberglass thing, right? You, you get, um, maybe you could talk a little bit about the difference between fiberglass and graphite and, and why the, you know, fiberglass rods are, or, you know, where their use is maybe a little bit better or different from graphite. Yeah. So, you know, there's a different, there's a, a modulus difference in, in glass and, and graphite for the most part. So, you know, graphite's generally going to be much higher modulus, meaning that the rod's going to be faster in action. The recovery is going to be faster where you're going to have more bend um, or flex in a uh, glass rod. Now, that said, you know, there's, um, you know, different types of glass. There's ways that, that um, blank makers are rolling glass that are making them recover faster and that they're, you know, they feel faster. But they're always, you know, they're typically going to be a little to a lot slower than what a graphite rod would. Um, I think, you know, if I was going to just name off the advantages, you know, 
Uh, they're great at protecting tippets because you're fighting a rod instead of, you know, on a fast action rod where it's maybe a tip flex. Um, you're getting more, you're able to fight that fish over the entire, um, yeah. length of the rod. So it's a, you know, like a big shock absorber, <laughs> um, it protects tippets. Uh, I think they're great for fighting large fish cause you can really leverage on big fish, uh, where, um, and then also you can feel rods load. You know, the story I always tell is fishing with my, um, children's, uh, a pediatrician and he was fishing a, a fast action three way. And I had a, an eight foot five weight. And I was like, Hey, let's just switch rods for a second. And, um, he did one back cast and then he like laid out like 40 feet of line and he just like yelled over the ri- river. He's like, Whoa. He's like, I could totally feel that rod load. Nice. Like it just mind, yep. you know, that that rod was so responsive and, um, you know, I always say for new casters, they're great because they really teach you that mechanics of, of casting. Um, you know, when you talked about your lama glass and with a weighted line that, you know, the rod, you know, really loads it. Um, you know, I found that, uh, I'll give you, when I was out at Pyramid Lake a few years ago, um, I had a, I took one of the Echo seven weight switch rods and I had a full sinking line on it. And I found that, you know, with two hands, let that thing load up and it would just launch, uh, a tremendous amount of line. Like I was outcasting myself on single hand and like everybody else that was with us and like reaching an entirely different section of the lake <laughs> just because that rod was like a cannon. Um, and so I find that, you know, even with, uh, a lot of the warm water fishing or saltwater fishing that I do like matching, you know, really nerding out and finding different fly lines that match a, a certain rod, uh, they can end up being a really, advantageous where the rod does so much of the work for you but it just loads up and just launches fly line nice nice that's cool so so i well i wanted to get into a little bit on maybe a little bit of the background on the history just a kind of a brief history but um maybe we can just talk a little bit about you know tips uh, before we get there on choosing a rod i mean you, you mentioned like all the companies have you know rods or most of them have them i mean do you have any tips if somebody other than say you know the the one we talked about from the eagle claw you know if somebody wants to get a fiberglass rod what sort of what would you tell them to you know find the right rod well i always ask people a few questions um you know definitely want to know what their budget is um and then what line what line weight they're looking for what length of rod they're looking for, uh, what the application is, you know, is this going to be like a, you know, little dry fire rod on, um, a little tiny Creek, or are you going to use it for warm water? Are you planning on taking it, you know, out on the coast for striper? Well, what about what? a, uh, what about a, is a Euro nymphing rod? It's too long. Is that too long of a, for fiberglass? Yeah, there's just, you know, you really start putting a lot of extra weight on a fly rod. Um, the longer that you make them. So okay. there's, what if it's a little, what if we're talking, you know, you're in Colorado and a little creek up high in the mountains and you need a, you know, pretty much you're fishing for smaller fish. Maybe you're using dry flies mostly, you know, going for little trout that are tucked in up there. What, what would be, and your price range is say, you know, you want to get something under $200. Well, I mean, you've got a lot of, you've got quite a few choices. I mean, you can start with the you know, the Eagle Off Featherlight, you know, Cabela's has a, a line of glass that they've had for the last few years that are super fun rods. They go on sale all the time. They're like, you know, sometimes as low as like 50 or $60. Um, <laughs> then you kind of jump up. There's Blue Halo Rods, the Reddingtons, the Echo. Um, and then you start getting into like the Orvis Superfine Glass, which is made in the USA. And that's a $400 rod with a lifetime guarantee. Oh, wow. So 
there's a lot of things. And then even things that are that are used, you know, eBay and then the Fiberglass Fly Riders Forum has a great uh, for sale part of the page where oh, there's cool. a lot of times where, where rods go for half of what you would buy them. Um, just because it's a real community there where if I'm done with something, I want to pass it on to somebody else that's going to yep. enjoy it. And so, that's cool. you know, there's a lot of super good deals there. What's the forum? Is that forum? Um, are, are there a number of forums out there for fiberglass, or is that one you just mentioned uh, the, one of the bigger ones? It, I mean, it's it's the the one that I that I'm aware of. Um, fiberglass fly rotters. Yeah, fiberglass fly rotters. Yeah. The fiberglass fly rotters, and uh, I was going to look it up and see how many members are on the page now. It's a great board, and you've got people. There's so much knowledge on that board because there's people that used to work at Fenwick. There's people oh, yeah. that used to work at L.O. Bean, or they used to work at you know in these different rod shops, uh, you know, back in the day, and and worked with different rod builders. Rod builders show up on there. Everybody from Larry Kenny to you know Matt Lederman and and Shane Gray and others that are um, contemporary builders now. Um, let's see, there's, you know, there's 65, almost 6,600 members on that forum now. And 12 years ago, I was like, there was less than 300. Wow. That's crazy. I just shows you like how much more interest there is in glass. And this is a great resource. Everybody's, you know, generally super cool on the board, very helpful. And, you know, want to direct people the right way when they have questions either about rod building, um, or, you know, fishing glass or, um, or getting their questions answered. So it's, gotcha. I learned a ton there and I always point people back there just cause it's a, it's a great forum to, to really cut your teeth on as far as gaining a lot of fiberglass knowledge. Gotcha. So yeah, I just wanted to, do you think you can jump into a little bit on, you know, the brief history of fiberglass? I mean, I think, you know, you go back, I guess it isn't even that far, right? When you think of fiberglass, can you take us to the, the first fiberglass rods and is the, it was the Eagle Claw one of the first ones that came out there? Well, you had, um, back in the 50s and 60s, you had most of the primary um, material that rods were made out of was bamboo. And then fiberglass came around, and they were using that to make uh, um, a lot of things that were related to the war. And they realized that they could make fly rods that were um, very strong. Um, they had a lot of the characteristics of bamboo rods, but they were a lot cheaper to make, and they could make them faster. Um, and so just like, oh, jump forward, Oh, 20 or 30 years that that fiberglass ended up getting kicked off the pedestal by graphite. Um, it kind of happened the same way with bamboo, where uh, you had all these bamboo rod makers that suddenly either were getting into glass or they just went out of business because everybody was making fiberglass rods. Um, and so you had your Shakespeare's and your Garcia's, and I mean, there's kind of a long list of of these kind of old school um, glass kind of um, I would say blue collar glass, um, rod makers. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, people, when they think of glass, they think of that rod that maybe their, their grandfather gave them that wasn't really that great of a fly rod and it was clunky and it was kind of gaudy looking. And so when you say, Hey, you should try fiberglass, that's like what they immediately think of. Um, right. And we went through, you know, several decades of of graphite and now, you know, nothing's ever going to like, I don't believe kick, graphite off the pedestal but now you have this new wave of, of of contemporary glass where the material is lighter weight um you have you know just some very talented uh rod blank designers and and that are 
looking at this material and ways to optimize it and get the benefits of you know glass that it's stronger and that it has you know great casting ability and um you know i don't think there's a better time to be fishing glass just there's so many options and the really cool thing is that it there's they're across an entire price spectrum you don't have to spend five or six or eight or a thousand dollars if you don't want to you can spend twenty five dollars at walmart or 150 dollars you know here or 200 or 300 i mean there's so many choices across that spectrum that there's really something for everyone uh where if somebody all they could afford to to fish is reddington uh butter sticks or or echo river glass they're gonna have a ton of fun with those rods and if they want something different there's so many options and it's really opened the door to a lot of custom rod builders and you know custom rod designers that uh, has really started a, a really neat cottage industry as well. Do you think that um, fiberglass is, is it a good for teaching or learning for, for kids, for example? Do you think it's a, a decent rod to, to, you think there's any reason it might be better than fiberglass or than graphite? I think it's better because A, it's stronger. And sometimes, especially if you put a fly rod in a, in a, in a child's hand that's super young and they're whipping it around and banging into trees and, you know, running into walls. Uh, you have less of a chance of, of breaking that rod. And then from a casting standpoint and learning the mechanics, um, I would say putting a five weight, you know, a short five weight in their hands is great because they're going to learn those mechanics, I think, quicker. And they're going to be able to feel the rod load. And a lot of times um, glass rods are shorter. So, you know, like I always say, start with a, a, a um, eagle claw feather light, seven foot five weight. It's, it's a short rod. It's a great teaching tool. Um, it doesn't feel like too much in, in a child's hand or a young caster's hand, uh, and they can really learn those mechanics. And they might put it down like I did, and you know, fish graphite or you know, go a different direction. But from a casting standpoint, and you know, from a child standpoint, do they want something that's kind of black and drab, or do they want something that's bright yellow that's right. or another yeah, that they cool. want to pick fun with? Yeah, that's right. And and the color is a thing. It seems like yeah, I was. You know, there are some, the old rods, there's a lot of yellow. Is there a reason why yellow was the color? And Because you can make them any color you want, right? They, You know, they can be made a lot of different colors. There's some traditional colors that rods, you know, have always been that, you know, real Fenwick uh, kind of reddish brown. There's a lot of yellow rods, lamb glass, like you mentioned. Um, so traditionally, I think there's a handful of colors. And then, you know, fast forward to now and there's hot pink and there's, aquamarine and you know they've got these really you know crazy gaudy colors um which i think is great though i think sometimes people get really drawn in by the color and you know i'll get an email that says i would like a green fly rod well (laughs) i really you know want to have that conversation of like what are you going to do with this rod um because i bought rods because of how they looked and then found out later on that you know it didn't what i wanted to do with it 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 wasn't good with and it's you know, like a wake up call, like I need to like ask the questions first of what is this rod for? What's it going to really excel at? And then if it's a color I like, great. But if not, let's like not get too hung up on, you know, the color of a fly rod. Yeah, exactly. That's not, that's not a critical piece. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's, this is a, you know, so going back to, so in the history, so basically the, you know, the, the war 1940s or whatever, the fiberglass is kind of coming in and then it takes over from the, uh, from the bamboo and then you get into, um, you know, what would be the next step as far? Well, I'd see. then it kind of goes out. It's, it's there in the eighties. Wasn't it the eighties when 
you had the fiberglass and then it slowly kind of petered out or how did that work when, when you had them or was it the seventies when they were pretty strong? Yeah, I believe it was the seventies and then you had companies, um, you know, I know Winston was one of the first companies that really took a hard look at graphite because they realized they can make lighter, lighter weight rods and they can make longer rods. Um, glass has always had kind of a ceiling, you know, like a five weight. Typically, you know, if you look back, doesn't get much longer than eight foot. And a lot of glass rods um, back in those days were like a five weight was maybe the lightest, maybe a four weight, um, you know, near the end. But there wasn't two and three weights. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, and then you're, but there was a lot of six, seven, eight, nine, ten weights that were made, and those might be, you know, nine or even nine and a half foot long. Um, and so graphite, they started realizing they can make longer rods. So that's when you started seeing like a, um, you know, yeah. like a nine foot, like a nine foot four weight, something right. that you can in glass. Uh, it's a lighter material. Um, and I think from, I think rod builders are always looking for what that next thing is. Um, right. And rod blank designers, you know, you don't want to do the same thing over and over and over again. You want to see what new materials are out there. You know, what can we innovate? What can we change? And, you know, fast forward 30, you know, some years, 40 years, uh, we're doing that with glass now. You know, there's different resins they're using. There's different, you know, glass types they're using. Uh, and so we're kind of going through that same cycle of like what's how far can we push glass um, and do things better than they were made you know, 30, 40 years ago. So gotcha. it's, pretty, it's a pretty neat cycle to see. And, um, you know, the quality of the blanks that are being made is exceptional. Uh, and, you know, it really gives opportunities. You know, you look at different builders from, you know, like Chris Barclay in uh, North Carolina, you know, he's really into making, you know, little small stream rods, you know, that are semi-parabolic to, um, you know, Shane Gray has had, you know, different, um, lines of glass made for him. Mike McFarlane rolls a lot of different glass. Um, Livingston Rod Company, he's out west in Montana. So, you know, he wanted to really push the envelope on, you know, like a longer five and a longer six weight and a longer seven weight that could be, you know, have be applicable for fishing tailwaters out west. All right. So it's been pretty neat to see. I think in the beginning, you know, a lot of these small shop rod builders, everybody was building a seven foot three weight and a seven and a half foot four weight and an eight foot five weight. And fast forward 10 years. And now you've got all these different rod builders that are um, really exploring like, you know, almost like a niche within a niche. Like they've created their their spot within fiberglass fly rods of what they do really well. Yeah. Um, and so from a customer standpoint, it gives you almost endless options when you're starting to look at you know, the different fly rods that you might want to add to uh, your own collection. That's right. That's right. No, this is, this is awesome stuff. Well, I, I want to dig into a little more on some of the, um, you know, some of the line we're talking here with as far as, you know, some other tips and things like that. But um, I did want to touch on, uh, you know, your background because the fiberglass manifesto, and I've gotten into this with a lot of different uh, guests on some people are, you know, full time and fly fishing. Some people are part time and, and you're kind of doing this on the side because you're, you're a police officer in your, your day job. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, you know, that job and how, you know, you do both because it seems like, and I think you have kids too. And I know, um, it would seem a little challenging to do, to run a website and, you know, have a, a job that, which must be pretty challenging, right? What you do, how, how do you do it all? Well, it's a, it's kind of a, like a constant juggle. Um, I've been a police officer with a, a, a medium-sized agency, town agency uh, in South Carolina for the summer will be uh, 18 years. 
So, and had a lot of different jobs within within that role. Uh, and is this right? something where 18 years, um, because that's a cool thing, one of the bonuses about being a police officer is that um, potentially you're retiring here pretty quick, right? Yeah, I could retire in, at 25, so that's uh, seven years. There you go. And it's kind of exciting to think about that, like what's the next step? Is, know, that, the next, is that the next step with, you know, you have this fiberglass thing. Do you have uh, plans to maybe have this as a, your – you know, doing some more monetization and um, kind of retirement sort of thing. Well, I guess you're retired. You have a retirement with the, the police force as well. Yeah, South Carolina retirement for, for law enforcement isn't super great. But, um, you know, I would very likely have to work. And, you know, I've always looked at TFM as possibly like a living resume. You know, it might turn into something that I could, you know, either do that, you know, keep doing TFM or maybe, you know, it will turn into, uh, you know, a job within the industry some sure. other way. Sure. Um, I would love to work within the fly fishing industry. I, you know, get a lot of enjoyment about, um, you know, writing the website. And I've always looked at TFM as, uh, you know, a lot of times in, in public safety, you end up having friends that are just within that, that job. Uh, and I don't know if it's always healthy to just always hang out with other, you know, police officers, um, <laughs> That's... just see things outside of that bubble. Yeah. And, so, you know, writing TFMs like opened up doors where I've got friends literally all over the world, um, you know, people that are in the industry, guides, um, you know, I converse a lot with, you know, different rod makers and, and different uh, companies in the outdoor and flash fishing space. Um, so it's been really good for me to have, a you know, a really outside view. Um, I really enjoy my job in law enforcement. Um, had a lot of different experiences currently. You know, I work with our community action team where we're responsible for, oh, a lot of the special events, a lot of the community outreach um, neighborhood liaison. Hmm. Um, and then I do a lot of work with our social media pages and oh, work wow. as a information officer, writing news releases, doing interviews with the media. So you're not um, out there, you're not out there as much just, uh, necessarily writing traffic tickets sort of thing. No, I still work with our traffic division from time to time if we're doing different, um, Oh, enforcement campaigns. But for the most part, it's, uh, and I would say more and more of my job is doing public information, videos and photography and essentially telling our story as a police department, which gotcha. is really, you know, these days that, um, you know, from the simple things, you know, we're really proactive on telling people when they need to change their route because we have a tremendous traffic issue. We have traffic issues in our, um, you know, small city of 30,000, but we have a hundred to 150,000 cars that pass through. So we're proactive on that. But then if we have a critical event, we try to really jump on and, you know, talk about things on social media as well. Uh, because we want to tell our story and, you know, have that working relationship with media that if there's something that goes down that, that we are almost immediately giving information on it. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, I was thinking, um, and this is kind of, kind of random, but do you have any, uh, you know, from a perspective of, uh, law enforcement, I, it's funny because I just got pulled over last night and, uh, I have basically a clean record. I can't remember the last ticket I got. It's been probably, you know, 10 or 20 years, but any, any tips for somebody that wants to avoid a ticket if they get pulled over on, you know, if you, if you get, if you have an officer, I, I can tell you what, what I did last night, but, uh, <laughs> any, anything come to mind there to, you just kind of, I guess you, you don't be a, be a jerk and just you know, let them know, you know, what you did or what would you say about that? Well, you know, I always tell people and, I, and I've done this, if I've been pulled over, I always put my hands up on the steering wheel. I think, Oh, you know, there you go. For a police officer, when you're approaching that car, you really don't know what, what the situation is, you know, is this, you know, 
is this a dad coming home from his son's soccer game or did a crime just occur and um right. you know, over for speed but are you speeding away from a crime scene sure so you know for a for a police officer you know it's the hands that can you know cause harm and so having your hands up you know i'll even turn them around so the palm of my hands are facing that officer when they walk up oh wow yeah that's very visible to that officer when he yeah. walks up those where your hands are um and you know be polite and you know um, you know, a lot of times, uh, people try to play games on traffic stops. Oh, really? You know? like, like, what, like, see, that's the one thing for me. It seems like that's the worst thing you could do because, you know, then that just, yeah, I mean, I, I tell you, so what I, what I did was I just basically, I didn't do the hand thing. That's a good thing. But I just basically, you know, I, I think I, what I did was I didn't signal completely when I just turned lanes, you know, I crossed. So it wasn't like a big thing I did, but, um, you know, I basically, after he grabbed my stuff, I just said, Hey, you know, I, I have a completely clean record and all this stuff. And I'd appreciate, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a break or something, you know, basically let them know like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm not. And, and they went back and he gave me a warning. It wasn't a big deal. So. Yeah. And you know, at least for, you know, here in South Carolina, there's a lot of people that say, Oh, you're only writing tickets because you've got a quota right. or trying to generate all this revenue. Well, for us, I mean, it's like 3% actually stays with the department. Oh, no so, kidding. Our motivation for writing a traffic citation is, or a warning, or even a traffic stop in itself, is typically to for compliance. Like for us, we really want to bring collision numbers down. So if people are driving down the median to pass cars, or if they're, uh, uh, you know, not stopping speaking, at stop signs completely, not stop signs completely. You know, this isn't like, hey, we got to write. You know, each of us have got to write fifty tickets. Let's get no. those done. For us, it's, hey, this causes collisions. Yeah, this well, is, and there's, this, and that's the thing you, you have that along with that is even the worst stuff is you got people that are drinking and driving and all that stuff, right? I mean, that's a big part of trying to get those people off the road. Yeah. And we're trying to be really proactive on that too. So I think being honest with the officer, um, and I think something that law enforcement always has to keep in mind is that, um, I have maybe pulled over thousands of cars. I used to be a traffic officer. So it's something that I understand that routine and it's something I've done over and over and over again. You, on the other hand, have, have maybe been pulled over once. Maybe last night was the only time you've been pulled over. So you are going to have uncertainty and you're going to be nervous and you're not going to know, like, I'm supposed to do this, this, and this. Or I'm yeah. supposed to. So, And I think from a law enforcement standpoint, we always have to remember what we do all the time is not something that you possibly do, you know, hardly yeah. at all. You might be nervous, right? Yeah, definitely you're nervous. You want to avoid the ticket. No, it's cool. I, I think it's, it's awesome. I mean, I think um, – you know, it's funny. I see occasionally I'll be in a, you know, a coffee shop or somewhere, somewhere, and there'll be a. That's a cool thing, is right. It used to be the uh, the donut shops. Dunkin' Donuts used to be the place where you know the, the the cop shops or whatever. But now it seems like the Starbucks and some of those places where you see a lot of the officers. But occasionally, you know, there'll be a few officers in there getting some coffee, and and uh, somebody will come up and thank them, you know, for doing their service. And and it's something I always think when they say that, I'm like, wow, yeah, I've, I've never really done that. So. You know, so I guess here I can I can thank you for uh, for your service, and I think we're not going to get into your background as far as uh, the military, but I think you might have a little bit there. But um, but yeah, I think uh, I can you know appreciate that because I've never been in that whole thing, and uh, I know it's got to be a whole different world. And uh, but you know, and I tell my kids the same thing. I say, you know what? They ask me about um, stuff like that. You know, um, you know, I don't know whatever it is, but war or whatever, and why they do it, and. 
you know, it's freedom, right? It's to help people feel safe. So yeah, just want to thank you publicly. I appreciate, uh, you know, the work you do. So that's cool. Well, I appreciate that. You know, we I work for an agency and for a town where we have tremendous support. Something negative happens somewhere else and, and um, you know, an officer's killed or whatever. And, you know, we'll have people that will call up or we'll, they'll come up to us at a coffee shop or a Walmart or wherever we're at, special event. Um, and so it's great to get that support. There's, there's a lot of places that people work as a police officer. They devote their time to a community and that community does not reciprocate, you yeah. know, that support. And that's, that's really tough. I mean, I, I can't know. imagine. You know, working somewhere where you didn't have, you know, the community support. It's a two-way street. Departments have to be really proactive, and that's why it's been so important for us to really invest a lot of time in telling our story and make sure that we are, you know, very transparent because the community expects it. You know, it's 2019. Um, you can't tell people, well, we'll tell you something. We'll tell you something about this in a couple of days. You know, like the uh, um, 24-hour news cycles yeah. and Twitter yes. and book and. You know, we have to be we have to be really savvy to that and we have to be ready to, you know, um, to answer questions. And I think that's good. You know, it's a it's a very important part of our job that um, the community expects it and we should be ready to do it. Yeah, no, it's cool. What has been, you know, in your experience as a, you know, in the police force and everything you've done, you know, has any of that? Uh, what have you taken away as a benefit that's helped you with the fiberglass manifesto or anything in the fly fishing world? You know, I used to have a really hard time. um being, I used to be shy and more introverted. Uh, and in police work, you have to talk to everybody, you know, and you have to be able to like very quickly judge, like, who am I talking to? And, um, you know, figure out like things that are important to them, uh, and be able to kind of reach, um, Oh, some sort of, uh, uh, reach them where they're at type deal. And mm-hmm. so I think that's been super helpful, uh, in, you know, the work that I do in, uh, with the fiberglass manifesto, you know, the first couple of years I wrote it, I was probably not that serious and, um, I was not treating it like a job. What, and were, I was, you, what were you writing when you first started writing the, the blog posts and is it different than what, what the, the posts that are coming out now? Well, it was, it was probably more glass based, but it wasn't very, I wasn't like searching out information. I didn't have context. Like I didn't know all the different rod builders. I didn't know um, all the different rod companies and who my point of contact would be, et cetera. And I guess it was um, kind of the turning point is, is that I'd written the website for several years. Scott Fly Rods came out with a rod called the Fiber Hammer. It was a glass two-hander at IFTD. I was oh, not wow. at IFTD. When was that? Um, it was probably 2009, 2010. And um, so I got a... a whole bunch of emails that day that was people started talking about it online. You know, what do you know about this? What do you know about this? And it's like, huh, if there's new glass coming out and it seemed like it was happening more frequently, I need to, I need to be like running down rumors or just reaching out to these rod companies. And so, um, the next fall I went to, or the next summer I went to IFTD and I just walked the floor. I mean, I gave out over 300 business cards. I spent all those three days like meeting you know, I started with the rod builders and rod companies and then just, you know, anybody else within the industry, I was just trying to put a face to a name That's cool. and down. And I, by the third day, I still remember it was in Denver and I walked up and I started talking to Tim Ray, Jeff. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've just talked so much and you've been like saying the same things over and over that I was like just completely lost words. Like I was almost hoarse. And finally, I was like, you know what, Tim, I've been talking to people for three days and I'm like 
I'm just like fried. And he just laughed. He's like, yeah, it's totally fine. I am too. And since then we've like, you know, conversed through email or phone call, you know, talking about the different things, yeah. echoes, you know, That's doing cool. a clap. But that first IFTD was super important for me to network. The next year I went, I think I only gave out like 75 cards. The next year I only gave out like 30 because I was just solidifying those relationships. That's cool. Year to year. Do you go, and, do you go there uh, still? Or are you going there this year? I'm going there this year. I'm super excited to see IFTD, you know, split and go back and just be its own show again. Um, and I, I went down to iCast a couple of times and it was a great show, but, uh, I think it's going to be really neat for the industry to, to be on its own. Um, and looking forward to, you know, going back out to Denver. Oh, cool. And, uh, yeah, I, and I ha- haven't been to it yet. I think I'm going to try to get out there this year. I think it's, it's in the fall. So, so yeah, it sounds like if for somebody that uh, maybe wants to dig deeper into some of the fly fishing, you know, like you're saying that that's maybe the one of the best things they can do is go out there and do some networking. Yeah, if you're in the industry at all, if you you know if you're writing a website, if you, um, you know, I don't think it's a place for you know if you've got an Instagram account, I don't think they're going to let you in the door. But you know, if you're genuinely a part of the fly fishing industry and you have an interest in uh, it's a great place to network and it's a good way to, to meet a lot of different people. And, um, you know, it's, um, I would say for whatever you do, if you're a blogger, if you're a podcaster, uh, that, that continuity and consistency are huge. There's a lot of people that will do something for a month. And then, you know, I've seen it in blogging a lot or people with websites They'll have a tremendous idea you know, a very niche part of fly fishing that they could grow. And, and, uh, you'll see a lot of inspiration and a lot of work out of them for about a month, sometimes two or three. And then I'll get like an email from them like, yeah, I've just, work's been really busy. And yeah. I, I kind of ran out of things to talk about type deal. It's like, well, yeah. you know, keep at it. Yep. You know, it's, that, that's, that's the best advice is to, is to keep at it. That's the thing is that some of these things, well, you've been doing it for, uh, like you said, 11 years on the website. And that's, uh, I mean, do you think about, times as you're doing this that um you know i mean you just keep posting i'm not sure how often you post on the site but is this something where you just indefinitely you're just going to keep posting and and are there anything new that you know you're coming you're going to be doing here in the next you know few years i would have never have thought that i would still be writing the website you know almost 11 years later um you know i tell people straight up it's not good every day you know i enjoy putting content together and i kind of look at it as a puzzle like Every day that I can write it, I try to put two puzzle pieces up. Yeah. Um, you know, today was, you know, about this, the Swift fly fishing epic, uh, ready to wrap kits and then a survey that there's somebody doing, um, you know, on fish handling practices and taking photos of fish, what I, which I think is pretty neat. Um, but sometimes, you know, what I don't think is a, is super great content. People, it will resonate with someone, you know, you know, someone else. So, um, I've really tried to make the content flow not to be just about glass. And it's really given me an opportunity to talk about really anything within the fly fishing and outdoor space that I think is really cool. So Mm -hmm. it's fun to see that grow. Um, And I think the important part, and it's been this way for several years, is that you really have to add that social media component to it. If you can add video to it, it's important. We're seeing, you know, there seems to be a lot more podcasts. Um, And you're you're a great example. And Mm -hmm. Part of your success is that you've got, you know, a couple things that are attached to it, but just the consistency and, you know, the frequency that you are putting new episodes out. That's right. Um, I think it's it's important to maintain those schedules, whether it's, you know, if you're a writer and you're posting something, you know, if it's once a week or three times a week, um, 
you know, just to maintain that consistency. Cause a lot of times things kind of fall off the tracks when you go a week and you don't do it or several days or whatever that, that routine you're in. If you break that routine, it's, it's hard to get it back is. on it. It is. I agree. Yeah. That, that's what I, I think that's probably the best advice for anybody is just to keep uh, some sort of routine. Yeah. Whether that's once or once a week or once every two weeks or whatever it is. And, and so, yeah. And, and I've had this, I haven't, yeah, I've had this going, Oh, it's, I guess we're getting close to 80 episodes and, you know, haven't missed a week in, in that whole time, you know? So, so yeah, that, that is. And in fact, right now I'm kind of doing a little bonus series. So I'm adding a, a second episode. Um, I'm not sure how long I'll do it, but I'm adding a se- second episode on Thursdays, which is more of, um, you know, more of a deep dive into f- fly fishing. I'm calling it fly fishing founders, you know, kind of hearing the stories behind some of the smaller to medium sized companies that are, you know, kind of trying to go all in on, you know, on the fly fishing thing. And, uh, so yeah, it's just pretty interesting. I guess that's, you know, you occasionally mix it up, but for you, 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 do you post every day or do you try to post every day? Try to post every day. Um, my schedule with work and just, you know, when I started, uh, TFM, I think our daughter was like three or four and our son was just born. So it was, it seemed to be easier and fast forward to now we've got a 13 year old and a 10 year old yeah, and you know, they've got all kinds of stuff oh, you know, yeah. with the church youth group. And so it's, um, not, so it's as not easier. Is, is it not easier now? Not easier now, <laughs> but it's something I really look forward to. Like my wife um, works from home and she usually starts at five thirty in the morning. So we're usually up, you know, sometimes as early as 4am or, you know, sometime between four and five. And that's my time to, you know, jump into a few emails. It's also, you know, work on content and, for me, it's nice to have that creative release, um, whether it's photography, whether it's doing gear reviews, whether it's going on trips. Um, I like that. Always thinking about, yeah, I think that would be cool content. It'd be fun to reach out to, you know, a, a different, you know, maybe it's a fly tire, a rod builder, or, you know, a new gear company that you see pop up and, you know, talk about different content that be, it can be created. So I enjoy, I really, you know, something that gets me up every morning is I do enjoy that have a couple cups of coffee and, you know, work on TFM for, oh, an hour to, you know, an hour and a half before I go to work. There you go. So that's it. Yeah. You do it in the morning and then, and so not necessarily the evening. So it's more of a morning game. When I'm driving home from work, I, I make a mental list of the things that I'd like to get done. And then when I get home and hang out with the family and crawl into bed, I'm like, I'm kind of done. Yeah. <laughs> I, it rolls over to be in something that I work on the next morning. Nice. What would you be doing if uh, if you didn't have the fiberglass manifesto? Do you think for your your side? Do you think you would be doing something, you know, on the side? It sounds like you kind of you, you definitely like to stay busy. Definitely like to stay busy, and I used to put a lot of time in the forum, you know, the fiberglass fly riders forum, and I feel bad that I'm not more oh, visible yeah. there. Um, but then I think the, as I became more involved with the fiberglass manifesto, I felt like if I was going to invest time in writing and doing things online that it made more sense to put it like in my own, you know, basket as, as opposed to a forum that, you know, might not be here in five years or, you know, um, yep. I guess anything online you do, um, you have to, you know, who knows where it'll be in a few years from now. I know that's one of those weird things. That's I think about that occasionally, I guess I've talked about it a time or two, but same thing with these episodes, you know, I would love these episodes to, to live out there, you know, for, you know, I'd love it to be out there for, you know, 50 years or after I'm gone sort of thing. But, you know, there's that, that whole thing where, well, I don't know what, what happens to all this online content. Same thing with your site. You've got this site, but 
you know, gosh, in, in 50 years, is that still going to be something, a resource for people? You know, that's kind of a kind of a crazy question, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, if you wanted to play a cassette tape or an eight track right now, you know, it would be kind of a scramble. Oh, so, that's true. That's true. You yeah, know, I, yep. It's hard to know. Um, you know, I've got over 4,500 posts on TFM. Like, are those going to live on after I'm gone or at some point does, um, yep. you know, the the website just vanish. Yeah. That's uh, and right. I think that's the part. And I've seen it, you know, I've got friends that have written websites for years and then, and I guess when they get done with it um, and want to step away, they just kill the site. But I always think that it, it'd be great if they, you know, especially if it's a free site, Yeah, you know, let that, let that content live out there. Cause um, I know, you know, you'd be really surprised what people do Google searches for. I, I see a lot of traffic that come from just the most, weird Google searches, they end up on TFM or, or, you know, somewhere else. Yep. That's right. Yeah. That's a, well, that's a good, uh, kind of a deeper conversation. Maybe we'll have, uh, maybe we'll have it at, uh, uh, I have, uh, TD this year. It'd be great to, great to run into you. I hope, hope to get out there. Um, yeah. So I had a few things I want to just dig back into as far as, you know, your blog and questions you get. I mean, what, what are the, you know, what do you think are the top, is there a top question you just get, you know, continuously on the, you know, at, at the website? Well, you know, I used to, when I'd roll up into a parking lot and be gearing up, you know, I'd be the guy walking, you know, to the, to the river with a fiberglass fly rod. And you could just see people like, look at it. Like, is that guy fishing a, a glass rod? You know, oh, yeah. just kind of disgusted or couldn't, <laughs> couldn't believe it, but it's those same people. Now they're sending an email. Hey, I'm looking for a new four way, you know, what do I need to look at? Or yeah. I'm looking for something fun to throw, you know, hair bugs on, you know, for pond fishing with. Um, and so it's pretty neat to have those conversations. That's where we dive into like, what's your budget? What type of rod you're looking for? And so then I can kind of, you know, once I get those answers back, then I can kind of point people to, you know, here's four or five choices in that space, you know, that fits your budget, that fits the rod action you're looking for. And maybe, you know, the color too, if that's something that they're asking about. Um, so I would say that's what I get more times than not is looking for a rod. What should I look at? Um, I used to have a really robust demo program, which it was like, had like 50 or 60 rods that were all contemporary rods from, you know, as simple as the Cabela's rods up to, you know, like Kabuto, you know, from Japan. Um, and some, you know, like almost all the swift fly fishing epic rods, but it just ended up being too hard for me to keep up with, um, because I was, asking people when they got done with the rod after, you know, a week to 10 days that they passed it on to the next person and passed on the next person and kind of had a flow chart and ended up losing a couple of rods and rods got stolen or broke. And I wasn't making, you know, there was, it was actually costing me money because when I would initially send a rod for, you know, 15 or $20 insured, um, it cost me money. It cost me time. And it was ended up being kind of a hassle. So I ended up kind of shutting it down. So it's interesting to see a company like, um, rent this rod. I yeah. know those guys and it's pretty neat to see them actually make that, uh, business work. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities for them and I think they're seeing that right now is that there's a, there is a lot of interest in people trying before they buy, or they just want a rod that they can, they can, um, take on a trip. Um, and you know, the rod demo program that I had run, you know, did that now, you know, a lot of those rods, when I do presentations, um, in the past I've done some of the fly fishing shows, 
Uh, and after the 45 minute or hour long presentation, you know, I bring, you know, try to bring 20 or 30 fly rods with me and with reels, um, with the fly lines and let people cast rods for, you know, a couple hours, which is pretty neat. Oh, yeah. Um, I always try to carry rods with me that weren't easy for them to find at their fly shop and, uh, would even, you know, give people a heads up, Hey, I'm going to be at the Pleasanton show or the Midwest show of Michigan. You know, what do you want me to bring with me that you want to try to cast that you haven't been able to put hands on? So that's, um, huh. that's always fun. It's, it's really neat to put glass in people's hands that have never cast it before, or they've just been like looking at a rod online. Maybe it's one that comes from New Zealand or Japan or, or somewhere else. And you're able to give them that, that, that experience and confirm like, yes, this is indeed, you know, how I want to spend my money or, you know, they're, they're back on the hunt looking for something else. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. And, the the, uh, rent this rod guys, I had them on the podcast, uh, in a recent, uh, episode and yeah, I didn't realize we didn't talk about the fiberglass, but that makes sense that they they would have some of that on as well for people to test out it. Um, and I guess, yeah, company wise, they, I think they have, um, well, let's say Thomas and Thomas is on, so they probably have rods through them. I, I guess I would guess. They, yep. They've got some of their glass rods and then they're also working with, uh, Tom Morgan, um, rodsmiths to get some of their glass rods in the mix and i wouldn't be surprised if they had some others pop up as well so at least one of those guys is a glass um geek yeah yeah that's right he'll be probably trying to sneak those in the back door that's right okay cool and uh what is the do you have any idea what your most popular blog post is or the thing that gets the most you know traffic or replies or anything like that uh, I think rod reviews are always high. Um, some of the gear reviews, um, in times past I've done like, oh, seasonal gear reviews that always had, you know, a fiberglass rod in the mix, but it was like 10 for spring or 10 for summer, or 10 for fall. And those were pretty heavily, um, read. Um, I'll be honest, I don't get too nerded out about numbers. Yeah. Um, that's always something I tell somebody that's like starting a website, like, don't look and see that it's just you and your mom checking your blog, mm-hmm. you know, like I did it for a, a couple of years, you know, I didn't even know, um, how to check statistics. Um, you know, the first couple of years that I wrote TFM, I didn't know if 10 people were looking at it a day or, you know, several hundred. And so I think that was helpful because by the time that I did figure out there was, you know, a pretty good readership and, um, but day to day, I, I don't get, too worked up about the analytics. Um, I just, you know, I'm doing it because I think it's fun and it's a good creative release for me. And like I said, some of the content resonates and, you know, maybe others don't. Um, but I would say the things that I get the most personal enjoyment out of is talking about, you know, small shop rod builders, um, you know, if, you know, highlight a rod builder and I'll get an email like the next day. Hey, I, I ended up getting three orders from that TFM post. Um, All right. that, I get a lot of personal enjoyment out of that because, you know, um, Echo might not care about selling three rods as much as a small shop rod builder that's doing it full time. And those three rods like help cover their, their rent for the, the month or that's whatever. Right. That's so, right. Um, and it's the same with some of the small shop, you know, gear makers. And um, I get a lot of personal enjoyment from that, like exposing people to new things new companies, new rod builders, and then have that be beneficial for that company. Um, you know, it's, it's not about monetization as much as it's just, I think it's a really neat thing to be able to do is to have a, uh, a, you know, even small voice in this very cool industry of fly fishing and, and kind of point people the right direction to what they're looking for. And, 
Mm-hmm. If that ends up being, um, you know, a positive for somebody else, I think that's, you know, really super. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I totally agree. And I think I've got, um, a, a group going here. It's, uh, the, you know, we call it the, uh, the member society, but it's just a way to basically support local companies, kind of the small or the mid-sized companies and, you know, rent this rod They're they're involved in it. And I'm just trying to build a little bit of a resource to help people find some good companies and, and all that. And yeah, I'm just looking down through your blog post list. You got all sorts of good stuff in here, you know, uh, a little review on uh, muck boots, which I love. I've got the, the those same one; those are awesome. You've got uh, uh, you know some knives. I mean, you got a. There's definitely a mix Patagonia, a mix of stuff. And maybe I'm on the Guru use site. I mean, if you talked about you know, and then you've got some are the and then on the side you have some ads and things like that. If you had to explain for somebody that really hasn't been to your site or maybe he's been there a little bit but wants to get around it, how would you? What would you tell them if they're new to it? How how they could take the best advantage of your website. Well, um, you know, it's a scrolling blog. So, you know, every day that new content goes up, that's going to be the most, um, the, you know, the freshest content and then scroll through it. There's a search box. So if you're looking for things, I, I am trying to populate those gear reviews because, you know, people circle back and look at those quite a bit. Um, and, you know, through the course of writing the website, I've been really fortunate to, you know, get opportunities to, to demo different gear and, uh, you know, where the, where the website was really focused on glass rods, you know, I'm able to mess with all kinds of stuff from Yeti coolers to camp chef stoves to, you know, currently messing around with a Traeger grill. So it's, mm-hmm. it's neat to have opportunities to put hands on a lot of different gear and, um, it's, uh, it helps create different content. You know, some people yeah. aren't into rods, but they might be into camping gear or they might be into knives or they might be into, I guess, bushcraft or whatever you want to call it or camping, you know, tents sure. or whatever. Do you, so, do you do anything yeah. sort of a, on that end with these, is there a monetization piece with the, with this stuff on, I just see on the sidebar, just for example, the, I don't know if these are even ads, but like you got corkers and echo and things like that on the sidebar. So that is paid advertising that's on the site. You know, that was something that, um, I guess about two years into it, my wife looked at me, she's like, you are spending way too much time on this website for it not to, you know, like be paying something. I mean, you could be yeah. working at the convenience store uh, after work, if you wanted to, to make some extra money. That's so right. and I thought it'd be kind of a weird hurdle to jump over with the advertising. Like maybe readers would be like, Oh, okay. Now we figured out he's just trying to make money off this. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, there really has been virtually no pushback and I've tried to be very picky about the companies that I work with and, and have advertising agreements. I mean, there's some that, you know, people reach out and say, Hey, do you guys offer, you know, banner ads? And if it's not a company that's a good fit, I'm, you know, pretty honest. You know, I want to be honest about that. I want to be able to believe in the, the product. I want to be able to use the product and I want to be able to tell, you know, point people to it. I want it to be. And, you know, the other thing that I've always said to advertisers is like, if you commit to a year long ad and you get six months into it or three months into it and say, hey, we're just not happy with the, the traffic that we're getting. You know, it doesn't seem like the right exposure for us. I'd rather have a good positive working relationship with somebody in the industry than to say, Hey, you, you said you're going to be on it for a year. You need to you know, right. stick to it. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. You know, we've, we've never used, you know, anything that's made from the website, it, it goes towards things like, you know, a trip or it buys a camera lens or it buys a piece of gear that I need for something. It never is. I never ever count on that, um, money to, to pay a bill. Right. Um, yeah. try to be very strict about that. Uh, because tomorrow, like everybody could stop reading it. The fly fishing industry could say, we're done supporting blogs. We're done supporting, you know, people in the space. And, you know, yeah. I would 
probably still do it for a creative release, but uh, you know, it's been it's been a great opportunity so far. That's cool. And, and I've had a good time doing it. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I think it just I think it just provides, you know, I mean, the way I look at it is just provides more value for the uh for the people that are there, you know, if they want to get a new you know, pair of boots or whatever, you know, there's a good, a good link, but, um, you know, as far as resources, what do you think is, you know, other than your website and we talked about the forum, what are the, is there, are there a couple of good resources for people that want to get more into the fiberglass, uh, you know, everything that's going on there and that could well, be a book, magazine, video or whatever, other blogs, anything like that. Yeah, there's, there's been, um, several books that have come out. Um, Vic Johnson, and his father wrote a book on fiberglass fly rods years and years ago. And then he wrote an updated version of that book a couple years ago. Uh, and then he came out with an international version that highlighted a lot of the international builders. Uh, and that book's called Fiberglass Fly Rods. Um, he also wrote one on Fenwick. That's a really great resource. Cool. Uh, and then he's also done a, oh, like a price guide if you're looking for used rods. Um, it's just a little like a mini book where he kind of gives approximate values of rods. Oh, perfect. For people that spend a lot of time on eBay. Yeah. Um, he's been a good resource. You know, there's a lot of things on YouTube. There's a lot of different uh, blogs and websites that, you know, covered glass and it's good to get those different opinions. You know, a rod that I, you know, feel casts a certain way. You read somebody else's review and they have a different take on it, or maybe they try different fly lines on it. Um, so yeah, I would gotcha. say, I've been, I have been very surprised that there hasn't been somebody that came out, you know, with a very glass centric, uh, website. Is, is there not another glass centric website? Are you the only one? I'm strangely and surprisingly, I'm the only one. That's so, crazy. Yeah. And you're the, I mean, beat up huh. by that space. but I have been surprised that there hasn't been people that have, that have, you know, tried to do something similar. Sure. Um, maybe, maybe it'll happen. Maybe not. You know, a lot of people think that blogs are kind of dead and like podcasting is the future. So you <laughs> might be the cusp of the future, well, right? Now. I think you have to have both. Well, at least right now. Yeah. I mean, the thing is the podcast is great, you know, and you can build a community kind of with that, but yeah, it's still nice to have people to send them someplace, you know, where they can, you know, whatever, if you have something to provide some value or get, you know, send them to a website actually is still a, a great way to do it. But, um, yeah, I know I mean, it's true. Lots of there are. Are you thinking about maybe doing a getting into more uh, maybe a podcast or more videos and things like that? I've thought about doing more video. I'd like to learn that. Um, I really don't have the skill set for video. I, I would say I have just amateur skill set behind the camera. Sure. Uh, also, I don't have a lot of extra time. You know, I think that as I get closer to retirement, maybe that'll happen. Um, yeah. And some opportunities for work where I can get some. Uh, some classes and background that, you know, probably will roll over and be beneficial on the TFM side as well. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I think it's important just like you're doing, like you need to be multifaceted, you know, have a blog, have a podcast, have, you know, social media presence and you, it's a beast that you've got to feed and yep. you know, you can be, um, you know, I think people really can sniff out if you're not authentic and if things that you do are come off as like an ad. Um, and I've tried to be as, uh, be as sincere about everything that I do because I don't want to come across as a, as, um, as a fake in all this, yeah. you know, I do my research and, and, you know, be a very legitimate source for information. Um, and that's kind of hard to do now, you know, it's, uh, um, 
Yeah, there are, there are there are some people. There are some. Uh, well, you know, the whole online thing. I mean, there's always going to be some shady stuff. I mean, that's that's out there. But I think just from the outside, not knowing you, I mean, definitely, I think you're doing a good job because. You know, I I, never, I I always heard or just thought good things about, you know, kind of when I heard the fiberglass manifesto. So I think, yeah, whatever you're doing, probably keep it up. And and I think that's the bottom line is that if you're doing the, the weird stuff that people are not are not stupid, you know, they could see right through all that, you know, and it's obvious, right? When you see somebody who's kind of doing this really kind of markety sort of thing and you're like, ah, no, I mean, you know what I mean? So I think, I think those people get weeded out and the people that are into it for the right reason kind of come to the top. Yeah, I hope so. And, and, you know, I think for everybody that's doing something in this space is just have fun with it. Be, be sincere about it. And, um, you know, I love it for the creative outlet that it is and the opportunities that it's, you know, it gives me to do things, you know, locally, but then, you know, it gives me kind of an objective when I travel, you know, I'm always, you know, trying to build content and take pictures and, you know, just, uh, not get too hung up on the idea. Like I'm doing a trip just for content, but yeah. it's just those things that happens along the way. Yeah, I know. That's uh well, I was thinking when you mentioned the video, um, you know, I had uh, actually, let's see what episode, uh, the new fly fisher had Colin on. Um, he's going to be coming on, I guess it's uh, episode 84. And he was talking about, yeah, I mean, he has, you know, his videos now. I think he's kind of, well, he's had a TV show and fly fishing for, for years, but he's kind of leading the way and, and, you know, so to speak. And, but, you know, he didn't know. I mean, the video, he knew nothing about it. He just basically took a course, kind of like you're talking about, and just got into it. And, and now he has, a you know, one of the biggest TV shows. So I think anybody can, yeah, get into it. You just have to put the time in. Um, well, we're, we're getting pretty close to wrapping this up. I just I want to check on one thing I had on here. I want to double check um, the S glass, E glass thing. Is that is that anything that anybody out there, if they're looking at getting rod, should really be worried about or, or is it more or, or and what is that what's the difference between all that stuff the biggest difference between e-glass and s-glass is that um, e-glass has a less modulus and it's typically a slower material than s-glass is going to be faster with with a quicker recovery um, but that can change depending on who's you know rolling the blanks and and what they're trying to do with the uh, taper of that rod what does the uh, s and e stand for i uh, you know i'm not sure yeah and it's a which one the, was the early one back in the 80s? Were they were they both there in the 80s or was there one? No, I would say E-Glass was what was everybody was rolling off of and and S-Glass is more recent. And then some of the Korean and some of the Asian-made rods are made out of something called T-Glass. Oh, okay. Um, so, uh, but they all are, just have a different modulus to them. Yeah, um, that's cool. Well, there's a blog post right there. Get the uh, a summary of... Uh, the uh, get a summary of uh, e glass, t glass, or whatever those mean. That's, uh, That's that, right. <laughs> not not that that really matters, but um, okay. Well, you know, there was a bunch of. Uh, I think there's. It sounds like you know rod companies. There's plenty of rod companies if somebody you know want to get started at different levels. So that's that's pretty easy. Is there anything else you know as far as tips or? You know, getting out there with fiberglass, I mean, it sounds like you can kind of just grab a rod, maybe grab your weights, the line weights. If you get a five weight, it's going to be a similar thing as graphite. Anything else to, to be thinking about before you get your, you know, maybe your first rod or a, another newer rod? Well, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, do I need a different fly line? Do I need, you know, um, is it going to, you know, is a five weight in glass going to be equivalent to a five weight in graphite? Yep. You know, do I need to 
go up a line weight or whatever. And really it's the same. And I would say that, you know, when you, if you have the ability with a rod is to try different fly lines. So if you do get, let's say you go get an eight foot five weight class rod before you go and spend 50, 60, 80, you know, shoot a hundred dollars on a fly line. If you can go to a shop and cast different lines with it, just because a company says, Hey, we make this for fiberglass rods. You might cast something that is made for a fast action graphite and like the way that that loads the rod. Um, so I would say that's very individual in somebody's casting style. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of fishing that I do with just straight up, you know, some of those fly lines that are like overweighted, like a weight and a half. Uh, and they end up working great on glass for huh. the applications that I'm able to use them for. So, yep. you know, I wouldn't get too hung up on the rod says it's a five weight and I need to go find, you know, a double taper in five. And that's the only fly line, like try different lines. Cause I've had guys that have emailed and said, Hey, I hate this rod. I'm going to sell it. How much do you think I can get for it? And you say, Hey, have you tried, you know, what lines have you tried? Go to your fly shop or go find these lines. And then they'll email back and say, I love that oh, rod. There now. You go. Sometimes a fly line makes all the difference. Yep. Yep. That's a great tip. Okay. Well, cool. Uh, Cameron, I think that's about all I have. Um, you know, I guess one of the questions I occasionally ask a few random questions and I'll, I'll just throw one of them out here. Do you have, um, you know, as far as, uh, music, do you, do you have any preference in uh, music kind of, uh, any bands or types of music you listen to? I would say, uh, been really into, uh, the white stripes, oh, yeah. um, Jack white, uh, and then some kind of some alt country. I've been listening to, uh, um, Sarah Shook and the Disarmers. She's from North Carolina and just this little badass. And she oh, cool. is um, pretty fun to, to see, see live and listen to her records. And, um, and that, then circling back on a lot of like old country and, um, old folk and yeah. bluegrass. What, what's your old, uh, country? What, what name comes to mind when you think old country? Well, I mean, everything from Johnny Cash to, um, oh, John Prine. Oh, yeah, to, Prine, right. Uh, uh, Van Zant, uh, oh, you know, yeah. Van Zant. Did you have you met um, uh, Towns Van Zant? Uh, it was the man. Uh, his son is JT or something. Like he's in the industry, right? He's in. He has. A, he's a guide, I think. Yeah, he's a boat maker and guide, and I would love to spend a couple of days on the front of his boat, but I've um, I've not met him yet. Yeah. But okay, I've talked to him via via email. I think he he said he was going to come on the show eventually. That'd be very cool. Yeah, appreciate his father's music, and yeah, so. That- kind of that whole crew that that uh used to play together and and my pandora channels are are typically you know centered around that yeah yeah and uh yeah pandora that's still the leading uh listening i guess one of the leading devices right or or things yeah yeah it works on my desktop at work so that's usually there you go. Well, I'll put a, I've been having fun with this music thing. I've been putting in a, finding a YouTube video and throwing it in the show notes. So, and what I've been doing is I go to the, like for this blog post, I'll go to the website. Cause you can listen to this obviously on iTunes or whatever, but if you go to the website, you know, pl- press play there and listen to, you know, us chatting here, but you can, you know, then go down below and hit the play on the video and get a little background music. So hopefully maybe somebody's able to play the, the white stripes or some, some Johnny Cash while we're, while we're talking here. So that, that, that works out well if the, uh, the audio is right. But, um, there's a super, super, super good John Prine, um, YouTube video. That's just, just like a 45 minute concert. That's 
like in a small room that would re- it'd be a great one to link. Oh, cool. What would be a Google to find that? What would be the name to search? How would you find that exact one? Um, let's see. John Prine. And there's some good Sarah Shook stuff out there too. That's John Prine uh, 45, maybe. A... Let's see. John Prine, the uh, house, of, house of Strumbo. Oh, that's it. House of Strumbo. Yeah, it's right. it's really really fun. Yep, perfect. I will uh, I will throw that in. Uh, let's see, in John Prine. Yeah, he was kind of a what was Prine? He was like a uh, not really full country. He was kind of a mix. Yeah, kind of folky country, and then he had um, you know it's the song that like breaks my heart is Sam Stone because he oh, talks yeah. about the soldier coming back, and you know he's that's he, right. He, uh, overdoses on heroin and like the heartbreaking part of it is that if you fast forward 40 years to where we're at now like the same damn thing is happening all over you know still happening yeah you know it's like how heartbreaking is that that in 40 years we haven't like figured out a way to to um you know change you know or have a different outlook on uh drug addiction and ptsd and and how we handle it so it's totally no i know that's a that's definitely a, uh, a major thing, but, uh, yeah. So in the next six to 12 months, anything, uh, you know, new or anything with you or the, the website we can expect coming out for you? Well, um, my wife and I talked about this the other day, like for the last few years, I've done a lot of travel separately from my family. Um, just kids were, you know, young and, and we would travel a lot together, but there's a lot of like, just, I was, you know, I think the year I turned 40, I had 10 different trips and most of those were just by myself, you know, um, with friends. And I really kind of see future travel. Like our kids are totally into doing stuff in the outdoors and fishing and fly fishing and hiking. And so it seems like a lot more of our future travel is focused on us traveling together and going places and doing those things. So, um, as a father, it's pretty neat to see that transition where, uh, we're, you know, we're doing stuff out outside as a family. And then I've got, you know, Places that I always go, I've been going to Beaver Island, Michigan for flat style fishing for carp and smallmouth oh, wow. and pike for the last eight years. This will be my ninth summer going up there and it ends up just being a fun week, super laid back, you know, fishing, you know, up there. It's a uh, huh. pretty neat island life uh, and I'm hoping to maybe get back down to Belize mm-hmm. uh, later on this year with a friend. That's so cool. so the carp, that the carp maybe, uh, I'd love to hear more about that, but that's uh you know, you, you definitely hear, you know, like that's a popular fishery. Um, I, I guess maybe we'll leave that to the next time, but is there somebody that's kind of a, a good carp, um, you know, that might be a good person to talk to about going deeper into that subject or that area? Well, I would say captain Kevin Morlock would be a great, um, interview cause he, you know, more or less pioneered that Beaver Island, um, archipelago, uh, carp fishery, spent a lot of time there before he ever guided it. Uh, and it's just, it's unbelievable. You, there's places where you think you're in Belize or the Bahamas because you're in, you know, 12 to four foot of water and the water is, looks exactly how it does in tropical areas. Oh, wow. so it's completely clear. And, and then you've got these, you know, tailing carp or cruising carp yep. or laid up carp. So it's, wow. it's a, it's a neat fishery and he's been able to, you know, really turn it into something spectacular. And, um, captain Steve Martinez is up there with them and, mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's definitely a highlight of my summer to go up and spend a week and hang out up there. 
Gotcha. Yeah, the captain thing is interesting. Being on the over on the West Coast, you don't hear uh, captain in the same lines as uh, any of the fly fishing guys. Now, and that's just basically. I mean, obviously they are they are captains. I'm sure, but what is that that thing about? Well, uh, I mean, it's big water out there. Yeah, it's you're crossing to get to the. You know, you have to have your captain's license to be on Lake Michigan and. you know, you fish around Beaver Island, but there's a lot of, uh, you know, surrounding islands. Some is, you know, about the size of a house to others that are, you know, miles and miles around. And mm. so, uh, it's a real it's deal. Not, I, people underestimate, I would say going there because they think that it, it's carp fishing like they do at home on yeah. under a lake. And then, you know, you're out there and it's three and four foot swells oh, wow. <laughs> to cross from mainland or to cross from the island to another island. What kind of um, boat are you in? Are you in your, this isn't like a, a, your, a normal skiff? Yeah, you're not in a normal skiff. You, you, people have tried to take skiffs out there, but you just get beat up too much yeah. um, on those big open water. So they're a V-hull, um, and they've put, um, uh, there's oars on them. Sometimes they're on the oars, and then, oh, you know, wow. they're on a on a uh, platform, you know, pulling. So yeah. just depends on what the water depth is and, uh but it, it's just a crazy fishery. I, it, I'm up there for as much of just the fun island life as I am for the fishing now. So some years we have like crazy good weather and then other years it's rainy and cold and, you know, you're everything from 40s and 50s to, you know, some years we're up there and it's 70s, 80s and, and low 90s. So well, you just, you never know what you're going to get out in the middle of Lake Michigan. <laughs> That sounds, that sounds amazing. Okay. Well, I'll put some links in the show notes to, um, if I can track down those, those, uh, people you talked about there and, uh, and yeah, if, if people want to find you again, it's, um, the fiberglass, uh, manifesto.com is the best place or if they have questions or want to connect with you. Yep. Uh, on Instagram, try to, um, you know, do a lot there and then Facebook and Twitter too. So. Okay. Perfect. I love, I love talking about glass, love talking about different, you know, destinations if you've got questions and and uh always try to be a resource for people perfect all right cameron well thanks for coming on i uh, definitely I'll, I'll keep in touch with you I, I hope to see you later this fall definitely would be good to catch up and see what else you have going on and uh yeah but just thanks uh, thanks for coming on and sharing all your uh, information and and the website i'm sure most people have, have heard of it you know what you have going but i think digging deeper is probably the next step so um so yeah thanks again for coming on no problem have a great afternoon okay see ya so there you go if you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered just go to wetflyswing.com slash glass please take a quick uh, survey I have going the fly fisherman's fantasy survey will help me guide the direction of the podcast and a bunch of things here in the next year really quick uh, really easy, really fun. I think the, the questions there are kind of uh, just take a look over at wetflyswing.com slash fantasy that's F-A-N-T-A-S-Y. Or just go to the show notes and click the link. And uh, and that would be super, super helpful. Um, you'll see, basically, I'm trying to get a, an idea of your you know your fantasy uh, fantasy trip. And there's a few questions that go along with that. Um, as well as a place to enter your email so I can uh, send you the results of the survey. I wanted to read a, a recent review on the podcast from Dirt Nutson. On, uh, on Apple Podcast. Uh, Dirt Nutson says, entertaining and infor- informative, five stars, my favorite fly fishing podcast. Very well done with great guests, and Dave has a very nice interview style. 
Thanks a lot, Dirk uh, Dirt Nutson, uh, for the great review. Really appreciate you taking the time. If you want to leave a uh, review uh, and uh, show your support and let us know what you think of the show, just head over to wetflyswing.com slash review to find out how to easily share your feedback. Thanks again for stopping by to check out the show today. Look forward to catching up soon and hope to maybe see you online or on the river.